everybody, Mike Dempsey here for Underdog Fantasy, who are handing out $1 million in giveaways on Super Bowl Sunday. All you need is a verified Underdog account to be eligible. So sign up for Underdog Fantasy and see if you win this Sunday. Underdog Fantasy, don't forget to use promo code 1010XL. He's Hacker. Talk about a fried egg. I lasted about five minutes out there. I said, to heck with this. I'll do this in the morning. And I don't have any inside information. The lady that did it, she got in there. I mean, she made it happen. And he doesn't shy away from opinion. And I do enjoy drinking cold beer at ballparks. So if that makes me a baseball fan, then I'm a diehard baseball fan. It's Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. And a very good Thursday evening to you, Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you. Glad you are with us three days away from Super Bowl 58, Kansas City and San Francisco. The NFL Honors Program this evening, where they will give out all the NFL awards, including revealing the Hall of Fame class of 2024 that's obviously important deal to us because Fred Taylor for the first time was one of the 15 finalists only five of those 15 will get in I'm going to begin there in just a moment Uh, I don't like Fred's chances tonight but I'm going to tell you why Fred's already won this year when it comes to the Hall of Fame he's already accomplished more than a lot of people thought he would And we'll get into that in one moment. Guest lineup tonight. We are absolutely loaded as we knew we would be three days prior to the Super Bowl. Former Jaguar wide receiver Cecil Shorts joins us in less than 15 minutes. We're going to talk some Jaguars, Josh Allen, Calvin Ridley, among other things. But certainly we will talk a little Super Bowl 58 with Cecil Shorts. Also Justin Lewis of the Florida Times Union. Justin was down at the Pro Bowl in Orlando. And I like some of the things that he did, some communication with Josh Allen. He also talked with a couple of guys from the Falcons and the Saints, defensive players who played for Ryan Nielsen, the brand-new defensive coordinator here in Jacksonville. So we're going to talk about all that with Justin coming up in about 40 minutes or so. So it's all football all the time. Tonight here on Hacker After Dark, we are with you. Up until 10 o'clock. Every night here on HAD, we do give you a big deal of the night. And Dylan, Denmark. Let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? It is a big deal. On Hacker After Dark. It's a very big deal. It was a gigantic, enormous deal of epic proportion when Tony Baselli took his rightful spot in Canton, Ohio at the Pro Football Hall of Fame two years ago. And now here we are, the Jaguars with another finalist in running back Fred Taylor. Admittedly, I'm biased, but I believe Fred Taylor is a Hall of Famer. I believe Fred Taylor will be a Hall of Famer, but I don't think it will be tonight. If it is tonight, I will be ecstatic over the moon, but I don't think it will be. Uh, And I'll tell you why. There are a couple of reasons. Number one, there were reports out earlier today in the Chicago area that both Julius Peppers and Devin Hester were two of the 15 or two of the five that were going to get in. Of course, Hester and Peppers were part of the final 15. That's a bad thing for Fred Taylor. I think most people would tell you when you look at the 15 finalists, 
Julius Peppers was a first ballot guy. Antonio Gates was a first ballot guy. I think people would be shocked tonight if Julius Peppers and Antonio Gates did not get in. That leaves 13 guys and three spots. They're going to put a wide receiver in tonight. Potentially two, but definitely one of Torrey Holt, of Andre Johnson, and Reggie Wayne. One of those guys at minimum is getting in. I'm going based on talking to Jason Cole on this program. He's a pro football Hall of Fame voter. They know they're beginning to get backlogged at wide receiver. They need to get one or even two of those guys in tonight. For argument's sake, let's say one of them gets in. And let's say the report in Chicago is true. So that means Peppers is in, Hester is in, and we'll say one of those wide receivers is in. That's three. There are two spots left. Fred Taylor would then be competing with the likes of Patrick Willis. Fred Taylor would be competing with Dwight Freeney. Fred Taylor would be competing with Jared Allen. Fred Taylor would be competing with those additional wideouts. Let's say they put in Andre Johnson. You still have to compete with Reggie Wayne, and you still have to compete with Torrey Holt. When Devin Hester, when that report came out earlier today, and again, it has not been verified, right? Nobody is saying that that's 100% accurate. Nobody has come out and retracted that report either. I believe the Chicago Sun-Times went with that and the radio stations in Chicago went with that, that both Hester and Peppers are getting in. When Hester gets in, if that's the case, that to me probably spells the end of this year for Fred Taylor. But let's assume worst case scenario that Fred does not get in tonight. He's already won this year when it comes to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. How many years did Fred Taylor go being a semifinalist, right? Being in the final 25, but not making the cut to the final 15. A number of years. He got into the room this year. That's what matters, man. Would we like the Cinderella story that, yeah, the first time he's a finalist, he gets in? Well, yeah, we would. That would be great. That would be an, that would be awesome. I mean, I'm, I'm underselling that. That would be awesome. But I just don't think that's going to happen. I can't tell you the number, but I imagine it's not big, if at all, if any at all, of guys that were at the 25 number for years finally got into the final 15 and made the Pro Football Hall of Fame their first time in the final 15. I wouldn't think that number is very big at all. How many years did it take Baselli? How many years was Baselli a finalist? One of the final 15 before he got in. Wasn't it like four years that Baselli was a finalist? That he was discussed year after year after year after year. And finally, he got in two years ago. That to me is potentially what we see with Fred. But more so than that, I think next year might be the year. And next year is going to be a big year. Let's assume he does not get in tonight. I know we all want him to, but I'm going to assume right now that he does not. No other running back is really coming on the list with the exception of Marshawn Lynch. And Fred Taylor is just better. He has a better resume than Marshawn Lynch. So Fred Taylor next year would be year two 
if he gets back into the finalist room, which he should, where they're going to talk about him for a second straight year, and he will once again clearly be one of the best skill position guys in there and the best running back. And the reason next year is a big year is because in 2026, Frank Gore comes on the ballot and Adrian Peterson comes on the ballot. And then you're going to start having problems because Adrian Peterson and Frank Gore obviously have better resumes than Fred. So I don't think it's going to happen tonight. I hope I'm wrong. I think next year is a good chance, depending on what happens tonight. I thought Blue hit it spot on. You want two of those wide receivers to get in tonight. If Fred doesn't get in, the next best-case scenario for Jaguar fans is you want two of those receivers to get in. You want to get as many offensive guys out of there as possible. So you're hoping Gates gets in. You're hoping... Two of the three of Torrey Holt, Reggie Wayne, and Andre Johnson get in. You want as many offensive guys as possible to be in that five tonight that would open things up more for Fred Taylor in 2025, assuming he gets back in that finals room, and there's no reason to believe he will not. Are people going to be disappointed if Fred doesn't get in tonight? Yeah, probably. But again, just think about how long it took Baselli once he got into that room, I mean, it was year after year he had to wait as a finalist before he finally got in. Fred Taylor won this year already by getting into the final 15. He broke down the wall, and that's a tough wall. When you kept getting eliminated as a semifinalist, you kept getting cut from the 25, and you did not make the 15. That was tough, and it happened to Fred for a number of years. This year, he got into the 15. That's a big deal, man. Don't undersell that. That is a big deal. So to me, that is the victory already for Fred Taylor. And there's going to be more of an argument for him next year than there is this year. I just think when you have guys like Antonio Gates, you got guys like Julius Peppers, that Hall of Fame voting committee, we had one of them tell us. On our show, Jason Cole had one of the, he votes for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. They got a backlog of defensive ends. They got a backlog of wide receivers. They need to start getting these guys in. That's why I think you're going to see some wide receivers get in tonight. You're obviously going to see, in my opinion, Antonio Gates get in tonight. And we're going to say that report in Chicago is accurate that both Peppers and Devin Hester get in as well. There is certainly an argument with Devin Hester getting in over Fred Taylor if he does. I think that's bunk, but that appears to be where it's going. But again, root for every offensive player that you can to walk across that stage tonight because that will make things easier for Fred Taylor in 2025. 641-1010 is the phone number and the text line designed by Lifetime Enclosures. Your thoughts on Fred Taylor's Hall of Fame candidacy are welcome. Again, the NFL Honors Program begins, I believe, at 9 o'clock tonight. I'm not sure if we're still going to be on when they announce the Hall of Fame. They tend to do that towards the middle or the end of the show, which obviously if it goes to 11, we might not be on. Uh, If Fred Taylor gets in, that'll be a different situation, and, and we'll certainly be here for that. But I don't know if that's going to happen. And again, I seriously doubt that Fred will get in. I certainly hope 
then I am wrong about that. But we will keep you updated. Coming up next, my man Cecil Shorts, former wide receiver for the Jacksonville Jaguars. He's with us every week here on Hacker After Dark. Let's talk Calvin Ridley, Josh Allen, some offseason questions for the Jaguars, and obviously let's talk a little Super Bowl 58, the Chiefs and the 49ers with my buddy Cecil Shorts. He's next, Thursday night edition, Hacker After Dark with Dylan Denmark, the Hacker Ryan Green with you. It's 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. It is a Thursday evening, and we are glad you are with us. Of course, Super Bowl 58 coming up on Sunday, San Francisco and Kansas City. We will certainly preview that game, but there is always news going on here in Jacksonville. Keep in mind, we're just over a month away from free agency. That's hard to believe. With all that being said, let me welcome in my buddy Cecil Shorts, former wide receiver for the Jacksonville Jaguars. He's with us every week here on Hacker After Dark. Cecil, how are you, man? I'm good, RG. How about yourself? Cecil, we're good. Thank you for the time, and I certainly want to get into the Niners and the Chiefs with you. But before we get there, we like to focus on your former team, the hometown team here in Jacksonville. Trevor Lawrence making the rounds out in Vegas this week at the Super Bowl, doing all his uh, promotions for Ritz crackers and head and shoulders <laughs> and all that. But a couple of things that he said kind of struck me, and I wanted to get your thoughts on it, being a former Jaguar. Number one, he said the collapse at the end of the year. He was asked about that. And he said, yeah, it was bad, but maybe it's a good thing we didn't make the playoffs. And, and I, I heard that, and I'm thinking, what on earth is he talking about? But then he went on to say, because we know now we're not as good as we thought we were. What's mm. your reaction to that? Mm. Uh, reality check. It sounds like they were full of themselves. Um, it sounds like the leader of your team, uh, <clears throat> maybe him and the guys in the locker room were humbled. And, and, and that's a, I think that's an honest answer because when you go from uh, – it's kind of the opposite last year, right? Start off slow, finish strong, huge playoff win, uh, come back. And then uh, this year, so I start off 8-3. and three, You're going – I'm sorry, you're going to the offseason thinking you're hot stuff. Your name's being – your team is being brought up when – are they serious contenders? Are they Super Bowl contenders? They start off 8-3 and three and then, boom, reality check comes. And I think this is a great opportunity for Trevor, for the rest of the guys in the locker room, for the coaches to really reevaluate themselves, um, kind of humble themselves and say, hey, to be a consistently good team, we got to do better. There's things we have to improve on. You know what I mean? And I, so I, I think, honestly, uh, that's a great answer from from one of your leaders in, in the organization. Yeah, I agree. I, I commended him last night when I heard it. And I think people forget Cecil, and I even forgot a little bit. The Jaguars were 4-8 and eight at one point in 2022, right? Yeah. And then they won yeah. five in a row to get to 9-8, and eight, and they had the great comeback over the Chargers. But if you look at those five wins, they came against Zach Wilson and the Jets, Davis mm. Mills and the Texans in 2022, mm. Josh Dobbs, who was the quarterback in Tennessee for like 12 days, in the AFC South Championship game. And, yeah, they beat Dak Prescott, but they had to outscore him. Dak put, like, 34 on Jacksonville, and they beat Herbert. So, was it smoke and mirrors? I don't know. I enjoyed the ride, but clearly, I think humbled is the right word. The fran the franchise and the fan base was very humbled 
by the collapse at the end of this season. No doubt about it. And you put it in great framework right there, just kind of breaking down the wins that came to you getting into the playoffs. Now, you can't take away wins, right? But at the same time, you got to look who you beat and the quality, quality of teams that you beat. Um, and even this year, some of the, the team that's in the Super Bowl, when they came off that bye week and, and the 49ers came to town, <laughs> it wasn't a pretty sight. Like, it was a thing where, hey, they had to – I think it was a game of measurement there. Like, hey, if you want to get on this level, which the 49ers are in the Super Bowl – this is what the measuring stick is. And um, it, it's a humbling thing, man. It's a humbling thing when you think you, when you realize you aren't as good as you think you are. So now it's just about going back, putting the work in, um, having a different mindset moving forward and, and figuring that thing out. Former Jacksonville Jaguar wide receiver Cecil Shorts here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Cecil, that leads me to Josh Allen last week at the Pro Bowl. Uh, he said, look, he would love to talk business with the Jaguars. That's after two weeks ago, Trent Baalke saying they haven't begun negotiations with Josh Allen yet, which is mind-blowing to me. I, I still not sure if I believe that. I can't believe contact hasn't been made. Franchise tags are going to be out in three weeks. And that leads me to the tag. And you and I talked a little bit about it last week. But to add to that conversation, what does it say to other players in the league or even the players in your own locker room if clearly the MVP of your defense, if not the MVP of the whole team, and Josh Allen is reduced to having the franchise tag put on him because you couldn't sign him to a long-term deal. It's not a good look. Um, I think it hurts, even if it's just a little bit, I think it hurts the morale in the organization. You you take away a little bit of hope for the players that come in, either drafted, free agency, or undrafted, um, into the organization that kind of earned their way and earn the right to that second, third, fourth contract, whatever it is. Um, so when you don't have – this this, this is my thing, RG. Just simply say, he's our guy. We want him here. We're going to figure it out. That's all you got to say. That's all you got to say. Don't have an ego about it. Don't go out there and say, oh, we haven't been in talks. Or whatever. Like, don't – that's not needed. Like, if I'm a GM – and I know he's the MVP of my defense. He had 17 whatever sacks this year. He's a pro bowler. He did outstanding for us. He was amazing in the contract year. Hey, we want that guy. We're going to figure it out. We haven't talked yet, but we're, we're going to figure it out because we want that guy here in this locker room. It's that simple. And that sends the message like, hey, we're going to try. That's the message to your locker room. Hey, they value the people in this locker room. When we play well, when we earn our money, they're going to give it to us. We're going to figure it out together. And that right there goes a long way for Josh Allen. Like, man, we're going to figure this out. They want me here. I feel wanted. Let, let, let's go for it. But the issue comes is when guys earn it and they say things like, you know, we haven't even talked yet and whatever the case may be, that starts sending a message to the not only the Josh Allens of the world, but the, the, the other guys, other 53 guys in the locker room, like, hey, they don't take care of the guys that are here. This just thoughts come. And everybody's going to pay close attention to see how they treat Josh and see how the uh, the conversations go when it comes to negotiations. Are they going to let him go? Are they going to have a conversation? Um, are they even going to try to give him a contract? Or is it going to be straight franchise tag, right? If this all comes into the morale of the team. And to me, it goes back to the, the GM simply just letting letting the media know, letting him know, hey, we want you here. We'll figure this out, whatever it looks like. And even if you do tag him after that, 
it still gives hope, like, hey, we're going to figure this out. Because there's times where you get tagged, and then a week later the deal gets done, right? Or whatever the case may be. But you got to give some type of hope to not only Josh, but the rest of the team as well. Yeah, look, I think Josh Allen will be here. I fully expect him to be here. The, the interesting thing, when you talk about the money of it, Josh Allen had 17 and a half sacks in 2020, 2021, and 2022 combined, right? He had yeah. 17 and a half sacks last year, 2023. So who is Josh Allen? Is he the seven and a half sack guy from 2022? Or is he the 17 and a half sack guy of 23? I think it probably lies somewhere in the middle. I think you should realistically expect 11 or 12 sacks from him. Anything else is gravy. And with that, I think he should be paid very handsomely. But I go back to this past season, Cecil. If Josh Allen would have gotten hurt, holy moly. I mean, he accounted for 45% of the Jaguar quarterback sacks. I mean, that guy's got a lot of leverage right now. Big time leverage. But this is my thing. It goes back to Trent Baalke. Like, literally, do not go out in the public and say, "Uh, we haven't had conversations. Because you sound disinterested. You sound disinterested. It may just be a sound bite, but that, it, that's what the fans feel like. That's what Josh may feel like. And only only Josh really knows that they have conversations or not, right? But the thing is, you can't say things like that because the other 52 guys are watching. Your quarterback is watching. All these people are paying attention to it. Like, hey, this is how they treat their stars. Like right now, whether you like it or not, Josh Allen is a star on the franchise, the star on the franchise. Pro Bowl, 17 and a half. That's a huge number, right? And he's one of the better players on your defense this past year and on the team regardless of the year, right? So you have to take care of the guys that take care of you. So I, I, I just can't get over that but that particular comment. It just rub, it can just rub people the wrong way. I agree. I think he'll be in Jacksonville, but it just rubs people the wrong way. And that shouldn't be the case. Because And at the end of the day, too, you got to attract other free agents to come in as the years go on. you got you got to be able to sign big names and bring people that can help out why would they want to come to a place where they're not even taking care of their best players? It's just, just a thought. A couple of more for former Jaguar wide receiver Cecil Shorts. Before we get in to the Super Bowl, I want to get your thoughts on the coaching carousel. Eight head coaches hired Cecil. You're an offensive guy being a wide receiver. And normally in the past four or five years, a lot of these jobs went to the up-and-coming offensive minds, right? And that happened a couple of times this this go-around with Tennessee and with Carolina, but five of the eight guys that were hired were defensive guys. And my question to you is, is that a direct result of what D'Amico Ryans did out there where you are in Houston? You know what? I don't know if it's a direct result, but I do think now they are looking, because I think it's real trendy to hire the best defensive-minded guy, the best or the youngest offensive-minded guy. I think what you should be looking for is a leader of men. Like who can lead these men to victory consistently every Sunday, Monday, Thursday. Like that's what you need to be looking for. Not the hottest defensive minded person or the hottest or the youngest, um, you know, guy that comes up with the go-go offense or whatever the case may be. You need to figure out, can these guys lead men? Can they work for you? Can they bust their butt for you? Can you get your message, your culture across in the locker room? They believe in you so much that they go out there every Sunday and play hard for you. That's what Dan Campbell got up in Detroit. He was a tight ends coach. He went from a tight ends coach to a head coach because he, 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 the, 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 the Lions believed that he could be a leader of men. 
So that's what I think guys are looking for. I think that's the number one thing guys should look for. The GM should look for. The owner should look for. Don't look for the hottest whatever. Look for guys that can lead grown men, develop the younger players, get the older guys to lead and to buy into that culture and be all about that culture, right? Um, so to answer your question, D'Amico probably helped a little bit. Um, I just think in this in this go around, they're looking for more guys that can be leaders. And look at Antonio Pierce. He seems like he's a, a, a leader of a of of a team. They bought into what he was preaching. They bought in the Raiders did to what he had going on when he was the interim head coach. And I just think that is the this is the mindset uh now more than anything else. No, I think it's a great point. And two guys are gonna be in the Hall of Fame one day. People forget before they were hired, they were kind of relative nobodies, right? John Harbaugh was a special teams coach before he got the yep. job in Baltimore. Who was Mike yep. Tomlin? Before he got the yep. job in Pittsburgh. But to your point, yep. the leaders of men and Tom One and Harbaugh are going to be in Canton, Ohio one day, you would expect. Final moments here with Cecil Shorts. All right, that gets us to the end of the season. I was joking earlier, Cecil. Sunday will be almost six months to the day that the Jaguars played their first preseason game. I mean, you want to talk about a long year, brother. It is six months between the Hall of Fame game and the Super Bowl as we talk about free agency begins a month after the Super Bowl. But here we are, Kansas City, San Francisco, the Lombardi Trophy to the winner. And I guess with Kansas City there, you just have to marvel. Mahomes, Andy Reid, Kelsey, they do it every single year. And to me, Cecil, they're the favorite going into this game. Yeah, I'm going to be honest with you. They they got to be the favorite. Um, they're experienced. They've been there. They've done that. Honestly, they're playing their best ball of the season at the at the right time. They're playing their best ball as a team in the most critical moments of the of the year. Like if you just look at how the defense is playing now compared to week eight, you look at how the offense is playing now compared to week twelve, week thirteen, where all these questions were saying they had no receivers, they had no this, they had no that. They are game planning week by week. They are running the, the correct formations, the correct plays. They are scheming up just enough to get the W. Just enough. And then they're trusting their players to make plays on the defensive side. You got Chris Jones going crazy. Justin Reed in a great game. You know, on the offense, of course, you got Mahomes. He doesn't turn the ball over. He can make any throw, every throw, the correct read. They're just in a good place, man. They they are rolling right now. Um, so they to me, they have to be the favorite going into the game. I don't care what the what the what Vegas says or anybody else, just looking at the game. These guys have been here. They've done that. I can't count how many AFC championships or NFC championships Andy Reid has been in and been successful in. This is not new to him. This is not new. Like, literally, he's been there, done that. It, it's just – it doesn't make sense if they're not the favorite. I think this is Andy Reid's fifth Super Bowl. I think he's been in nine championship games. Jeez. I think if he wins on Sunday – you can start having the conversation and see at the table with Belichick among the best coaches that have ever played in the or coached in the NFL. Finally, Cecil to San Francisco before we get a prediction out of you. Here's my thing with the 49ers, man. You could argue Green Bay outplayed them, yet San Francisco won the game. You could argue Detroit definitely outplayed them, yet San yeah. Francisco won the game. I almost think that I'm guilty of this as well. We might have forgotten how good San Francisco is because they have not played their best football in the playoffs, and yet here they are in the Super Bowl. <laughs> RG, they always they always say good teams find a ways to win. They may win ugly, 
They may win uh, not in particular fashion that's pretty, but they find ways to win. At the end of the day, a win is a win. You don't get extra points for winning by 50. You don't get extra points for dominating. If you find a way to win, you're a good team and you're winning the game. So I think you're right. I think we get lost in uh, lost in the, the, the how it's supposed to look, right? At the end of the day, you're supposed to win the playoffs, and that's what they're doing. It was ugly against Detroit. It was ugly against, against Green Bay. Uh, two teams they had to come back from and fight and claw, but they did it. And they were savvy enough and good enough and understood what they had to do, understood the assignment to get the job done. That's the scary part about San Fran. They've been down 24-7 and a half in the NFC Championship. They've been down in the, in, in the divisional round. They have had home games and not played well, like, and they still figure out ways to win. So for me, I think that's that's credit to them. They haven't played their best ball in the playoffs. So the best ball is still in front of them with a whole extra week to prepare where Kyle Shanahan and everybody else can really put their thoughts on paper and get that extra work in. So th- these guys are coming, and I think they got a, po- they got a point to prove because Kyle Shanahan, to me, is under some big-time pressure. Big-time pressure. I've been listening to the media all week. I've been hearing 28-7 Patriots Falcons <laughs> <laughs> he was the OC. Oh, last year they didn't get the job done in the NFC Championship or the year before, like – he has to get over the hump. If he wants to be, and he is one of the best coaches in the league right now, but if he wants to be in the great category, right, he got to get over the hump. He has to really work and, and figure out, I shouldn't say work, but really figure out a way to, to win this game. I think the pressure is big time on Shanahan. I think he'll do well. I think he's phenomenal. Um, but, man, this <laughs> the San Fran has done just enough to win. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how it turns out Sunday night. All right, Cecil, final question. Who's hoisting the Lombardi Trophy Sunday evening? Who's going to be a world champion? Ooh, this is tough, RG. Um, as much as I want Kyle Shanahan to get over the hump, you know, sometimes the great ones in Andy Reid are just too much, right? Andy Reid had to wait his turn. <laughs> I think he went to – correct me if I'm wrong. He went to three NFC championships before he finally – Got over the hunt with McNabb and them. It was a while. Yeah, I believe um, the fourth time was the charm for him. Yep. Fourth time was the charm. It, it just it just takes time. And I think that honestly, Mahomes, Kelsey, Andy Reid, Chris Jones, Justin Reed, these guys have been here and done that. This is not going to be a huge thing for them. They know they have to do the win. Um, I think when it comes down to who is going to play better in the in the critical moments. I think I trust Mahomes and company more than I do San Francisco. So I'm going to say Mahomes and company, the Kansas City Chiefs win uh, 24-17. Wow, I'm right there with you. I got Kansas City 26-21, and my logic is simple, just like yours. One team has Patrick Mahomes, one team (laughs) does not. And I'm going to take Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl. (laughs) Cecil Shorts, you get him every week here on Hacker After Dark. Cecil, we'll break down the Super Bowl next week, and we'll look ahead to what should be a very interesting month for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Thank you, my friend. Oh, thanks, RG. Talk to you soon. There you go, my buddy Cecil Shorts. You get him every week here on Hacker After Dark. So a couple of things um, to get into briefly. Justin Lewis, Florida Times Union. Coming up in less than 10 minutes, he was down in Orlando at the Pro Bowl. Had some interesting conversations with some guys that used to play for Ryan Nielsen, the brand-new Jaguar defensive coordinator. We'll talk about Josh Allen. We'll talk about Trevor Lawrence. 
We'll get into the Jags as well with Justin Lewis of the Times Union in less than 10 minutes. So the NFL Honors Show is coming up at 9 o'clock, and there's a lot of reports out about guys that are going to win awards, guys that know they haven't won awards. So I mentioned earlier in Chicago, both the Sun-Times and I think at least one of their sports radio stations had reported earlier today that both Devin Hester and Julius Peppers were getting into the Hall of Fame tonight. And why is that important to us? Well, obviously, Fred Taylor is one of the 15 finalists. Well, it's just been brought up literally in the last five minutes. It's being reported that Antonio Gates apparently is not getting in, which I'm stunned by. Uh, I I thought if there were two first ballot guys this year, it was Julius Peppers and it was Antonio Gates. Uh, And again, you know, none of these reports have been obviously proven to be true or false yet. So they are reports, take it for what it's worth. But Denmark, Antonio Gates, if this is true, and it's numerous outlets reporting it, not getting in tonight, I'm I'm quite frankly stunned by that. Yeah, I'm kind of shocked by that too. I mean, if I – obviously I haven't lived enough life, but I feel like he's off the top of my head like one of the top 10 tight ends to ever play, top 15, and I'm I'm with you. I, I thought this was a shoe-in easily, and I don't know. I like to know the conversations that they had if – if it's true as to why he wasn't in. And again, what that means for Fred Taylor, I don't know. Maybe nothing at all. But it's interesting. If Antonio Gates did not get in, that frees up a spot that many people thought would not be freed because people just assumed, including myself, that Gates was a first ballot guy and Julius Peppers was a first ballot guy. So we'll keep you updated. Hopefully it happens while we're on. Again, the NFL Honors Show doesn't even begin until nine o'clock, we'll uh, we'll stay with you, you know, as long as we can tonight to see if Fred gets in. I tend to doubt it still, but that was an eyebrow raiser if Antonio Gates indeed is not getting in tonight, as what is being reported by many outlets right now. Justin Lewis, Florida Times Union. Let's talk Jags. Let's talk Pro Bowl. Let's talk Ryan Nielsen. Let's talk off season. That's next Thursday night edition. Hacker after dark with Dylan Denmark, the hacker Ryan Green with you. It's 1010XL, and it's 92.5 FM. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. NFL free agency is a month away, basically. A month from the Super Bowl is when the negotiation period starts. The league calendar will begin on Wednesday, March the 13th, which is when contracts can officially be signed and there's a lot to do for the Jacksonville Jaguars between now and just about 30 days from now from Calvin Ridley to Josh Allen to all points in between it should be an interesting couple of weeks here in Jacksonville with that we welcome in Justin Lewis of the Florida Times Union does a terrific job covering the Jacksonville Jaguars and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL Justin how you doing I'm doing good. Thank you for having me on. Hey, Justin, always appreciate the time. You were in Orlando for the Pro Bowl last weekend. Good stuff coming from you from the Times Union. You did a good job down there, man. Enjoyed reading some of your stories. And I thought it was interesting that you caught up with a couple of guys that used to play in Ryan Nielsen's defense, one in New Orleans, 
one in Atlanta. Of course, Ryan Nielsen, the brand-new defensive coordinator here in Jacksonville. Justin, what did you take away from the conversations you had with both Jesse Bates from Atlanta and Demario Davis from New Orleans? Yeah, I mean, honestly, both guys really spoke glowingly about Coach Nielsen. Um, both, both guys really, you can tell how much of an impact he had. With Jesse, he only spent one year in his system. Uh, he spent last year in Atlanta, and you can just tell, like, he had an all-pro season, and Coach Nelson was a direct impact on that. Uh, one of the things Jesse said was he knew his strengths, but he also knew his weaknesses, and he just was able to put him in a good position. Um, I think Bates had, like, three, six interceptions. He had one that was, like, a 92-yard touch for a return for a touchdown. So, yeah, he, he was really um, – impressed with him and he said that he feels that coach Nelson will be a head coach one day which is always high praise coming from a player and with Davis he spent more time with him uh, as a member of the Saints and he kind of gave me some insight into how he is off the field and, and when they're not you know in the building he said that he used to call Davis all the time and they used to talk about different things and he he said that there were even instances where Davis would have an event or a community, something going on in the community. And, and Coach Nelson was one of the first people there to show up for him and help him out. So I think it just speaks volumes to the type of guy he is. You know, the football coach, when you look at both players, they both are all pro players. They both are pro bowl players. But the guy off the field, I think that kind of speaks volumes to who he is. Yeah, talking to people in Atlanta, they were not happy to see him go, although it was obviously – a foregone conclusion when they hired a defensive guy there in Raheem Morris. Again, Justin Lewis of the Times Union. Justin, I haven't talked to you since Mike Caldwell was let go and Ryan Nielsen was brought in. Good thing for Mike. He was just hired recently with the Las Vegas Raiders, so he lands on his feet. But what did you make of his dismissal, the Nielsen hiring, how the Jaguars addressed that this offseason? You know, I really like Mike. Um, I think Mike was a great guy. You have to start asking questions about the locker room and, and how much uh, they were responding to his coaching down the stretch. I mean, you look at that Tennessee game, it's Derrick Henry and, and guys that are out of their dabs, guys kind of are, you know, halfway into the game. And this is a game that playoffs are on the line. So, so you never want to see somebody, you know, lose their job and you worry about their family and things like that. But like you said, happy for him. He he landed in Las Vegas, and I think that'll be a really good spot for him. He's coaching linebackers, so you know, right back into the mix of the NFL. So I think I think that's good for him and for the Jags. I, I think they got better. I mean, Nielsen was probably one of the top you know coordinators on the market available, and they went and got him. They requested to interview him once. It was blocked by the Falcons because they didn't really know the direction they were going. And then as soon as they got the second opportunity, they locked them down. So I think, you know, from the way that players speak about Nelson and, and from all accounts, I think the Jags got a lot better defensively. And, and Trayvon Walker and Josh Allen, I mean, boy, are those guys lucky. Like, you look at Trey, Hendrick, Trey Hendrickson and his season with the Saints that kind of propelled him into that, you know, pro bowl, all pro level, level player. I, I think you have to see that for Trayvon and Josh. You know, that's a good point. One thing I'm trying to do now that we're far enough removed from the collapse, again, you lose five out of six, you go from eight and three to out of the playoffs. There wasn't a lot of reasons to be positive for the first couple of weeks. But as we get further removed from it, Justin, the one thing I'm trying to point out, 
Man, Trayvon Walker, amidst that collapse, he looked like he discovered something. All right, down the stretch, he was getting after the quarterback. He was making an impact. Obviously, he finished with double-digit sacks. To me, that's a lot of excitement, things to get very excited about in regards to Trayvon Walker and how he ended the year and what that could do for him in 2024. Right. I, I know a lot of people are caught on one side of the fence or the other with Trayvon, but, I mean, the potential is there. And I talked to him on the uh, last day of the season in locker room clean-out, and he, he was all positive. I mean, he, he said several times that he feels like he's on an uphill slope he feels like he's growing and he feels like he got better this season. And though the Jags as a team did not succeed, when you look at his numbers from last year to this year and the fact that he was able to get to double digit sacks, I mean, you just have to feel positively about that young man. Justin, so, yeah. Yeah, Justin Lewis of the Florida Times Union here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. You being in Orlando, obviously, talking to Demario Davis, Jesse Bates, you also, I'm sure had some dialogue with Josh Allen. Um, that's the big one, right, Justin? That'll be the first domino to fall. Franchise tags can be handed out, I believe, in about two and a half or three weeks' time leading into free agency on March 11th. Uh, the Jaguars in a perfect world would love to get a deal done, I would assume, with Josh Allen to save that franchise tag. But the more time that goes by, the more it becomes apparent that the franchise tag is probably going Josh Allen's direction. Yeah, the, the Jacks kind of have put themselves into a corner, and I, I get it's who, you know, Trent Balky is. He doesn't like doing deals in season, and he, he's not that type of guy. Uh, but they, they should have, as soon as Sweat was paid by the Bears, they should have said, okay, that's the bar. That's where we are. And they should have reached out to Josh's camp and, and started those negotiations. Even if you don't come to a number, number even if you don't come to an agreement in season, it should not be two weeks after the season. And at Balky's press conference, he said, hey, we haven't even started on the deal, but we know Josh will be a Jaguar. You know, Josh is a very nice guy. He's, he's you know, he's the face of the franchise defensively. He says all the right things. He does all the right things. But this is a good way to make someone angry if you're playing with their money. And after the season he had, there's honestly no conversation. You think that could get sticky between Allen and the franchise? I hope it doesn't, but players uh, almost uh, unanimously do not like the franchise tag, and, and if they put that on him, which it appears that's the direction it's going, could that become an issue as we get later on into the offseason? An issue? No, but I will say, and I, I think John Shipley is the one who tweeted it out, other guys notice how you, you know, how you pay like this, this Josh Allen is again, the face of the defense. Josh Allen is the guy in Jacksonville and for him to have to go through this process, other guys have to take note. I mean, in the locker room guys are paying attention to it. And I don't know that it'll be an issue for Josh because of the way he is and because of the person that he is because of the nice guy that he is, but it, it might be something for other players who are looking like, man, if that guy can't get paid here, I might have to, you know, head somewhere else to get paid. So who, who knows? But I, as you said, I hope it doesn't become an issue because, honestly, Josh is one of the nicest guys in the locker room. couple of more for Justin Lewis of the Florida Times Union. Justin, the domino effect from Josh Allen will have a direct impact on Calvin Ridley. Um, and look, with the other wide receivers on the market, Michael Pittman Jr., T. Higgins, Mike Evans in particular, 
The thought in Indy is they're going to tag Pittman. The thought in Cincinnati is tag potentially Higgins. It looks like Mike Evans will hit free agency at his age. But if a couple of those guys get tagged, Ridley's price value is going to go up and up and up. Do you expect Calvin Ridley to be back here in 2024? I think both sides want Ridley to be in Jacksonville next year, but I wouldn't fault Ridley if he could get a better deal somewhere else and he chooses to to go elsewhere, um, especially if they're not able to get a deal done with Josh so they won't be able to tag. It, if Ridley can get more money elsewhere, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he, he takes that chance. I mean, this is a guy who spent time away from football and then came back and was able to get to the the thousand yard uh, threshold and and he had an up and down year but also you have to realize this is a guy who was not playing football and this is a guy who was out you know in the cold basically and he came in with a lot of expectations and some of those expectations he delivered on others he didn't but i i think both sides want ridley back but if ridley could get else, more money elsewhere which is what he said in the locker room uh, on the last day in locker cleanout he said he needs some money too, jokingly, of course, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's playing elsewhere. I mean, to be as simple as we can make it for the fans, the perfect scenario is you re-sign Josh Allen prior to March 11th, you franchise Ridley, you don't sign him until after the draft, which means then you'd owe Atlanta a third instead of a second. That's ideal. Do you think there's any scenario in which the ideal situation happens? To be truthful, I don't. I, I don't know that. Uh, I think Josh's contract situation has gotten to the point where I don't know that it'll get done prior to the deadline day. I, I think they're going to have to use the tag on him. I think that's going to you know, drag into the summer months. And I think they're going to allow Calvin to go search for his options. And if he can find something better, they'll you know, address it through the draft. And if they can't, if he can't, he'll be right back here and, and Trevor will have another season to grow with him. He'll have another season to grow in Doug's offense and that'll be the way it plays out. But I, I just really don't see it. Uh, Josh's situation getting resolved. If Calvin, yeah, if Calvin leaves, there's a thought that Zay Jones might be a cap casualty because you save a little bit of money there. Although if Ridley leaves, maybe you keep Zay. But if Ridley leaves and you cut Zay, that's a problem, obviously, right? I mean, then wide receiver goes to the top of the list this offseason. For sure. But I think this is a good enough draft where they wouldn't mind pivoting and going out with that number 17 pick and getting a guy. And if, if it came to it, I could honestly see them trying to trade up so they could get one of those top, you know, they're, they're not obviously not going to get Harrison Jr. They probably won't get neighbors, but they could get the kid from Washington. He He's right there. He's being mopped around the number 10 spot. I could see them trading up for a guy like that if the wide receiver situation goes, you know, a bit left this offseason. Final moments, Justin Lewis of the Florida Times Union. Justin, as we begin to wrap up, Allen and Ridley are the big ones. All right, Ezra Cleveland, Jamal Agnew, Dewan Smoot. I guess I'll throw Trey Herndon in there. What's your thought on the other unrestricted free agents that are set to hit the market in a little over a month. I think Cleveland will be back. I, I think they have to bring him back to be a uh, left guard for them. Um, Trey Herndon is an interesting one. The number 17 spot, they could get a guy to play nickel 
and, and they could get a guy that eventually will transition outside. But I wonder if they're thinking you bring Trey back and now we have more flexibility at number 17 and, and we can address something else. Or, you know, uh, Trent loves the draft picks. Maybe he trades back if, if they bring back Trey and he gets something else that he wouldn't want to spend at uh, 17. So I, I think those are the two, honestly. Um, Agnew, I really love him. He, he's a great dude in the locker room. He, he's a special talent on the field as a returner. I think they drafted Parker Washington for this moment, for for him, for Agnew to, you know, go on and, and find his next team and for Parker to be the full-time returner next year. Yeah, so. I think Agnew might be gone. I also think, you know, whether Rayshon Jenkins, can Antonio Johnson step in for him? There's already reports out that Fadakasi may be a cap casualty. We'll see what happens there. There's certainly going to be some turnover on this team, no question about it. And then final question, man. I mean, you know, it's it's February, so there's a ton of time. But we saw Herbert get paid after year three. We saw Burrow get paid after year three. Trevor Lawrence has been asked about it all week out in Las Vegas at the Super Bowl. Do you expect by the time, say, the preseason rolls around in mid-August, does Trevor have a new deal, or do you think the Jaguars are in a more wait-and-see approach right now? I think Trevor will have his new deal. I think – the quarterback position is is one of those spots where you lock down your guy. You know, it, what what's happening with Josh, I just can't even fathom they would roll the dice like that. I, I can't even imagine that they would, you know, get even close to a situation where Trevor may get upset. And, and he's saying all of the right things. He always does. But the fact is, everybody loves money. And, and I think that's the position where you lock your guy down. And I think rolling into next year, Trevor will have his new deal. And, you know, it'll reset the market for whoever is behind Trevor. And, you know, that that's just how it works. We love the guys over the Florida Times Union, Demetrius Harvey, obviously Gene Fournette, Smitter, Justin Lewis as well. Justin, tell us about what you guys have coming out on the Times Union. I know you had all the great content from the Pro Bowl that people can still read. What else do you have coming out in the coming days and weeks? Yeah, we have some uh, Super Bowl content. Uh, Demetrius is taking a look at, you know, who are the Jags that are playing, former Jags that are playing in the Super Bowl. And then I will be doing something on roster building, something that the Jags could take from each team. Uh, one of the biggest points to me for that, Travis has mentioned multiple times that he wants to be used in the Christian McCaffrey role. I think next year is the year where they have to try to get him more involved in different ways and get him the ball in space. Um so, yeah, that, that and then, of course, our draft content is about to really pick up uh, once the Super Bowl is in the rear view. So, excited about a lot of that. Justin Lewis of the Florida Times Union. Justin, your Hacker After Dark debut. It will certainly not be the last time. Really appreciate you, my friend. We'll talk again soon. Of course. Thank you again. Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Yes, it is. Josh Edwards, CBSSports.com, coming up in just about uh, under 10 minutes. Also, Seren Petro, Sports Radio 810 in Kansas City. Later on in the 9 o'clock hour, we will certainly keep you updated on the NFL Honors Program if the Hall of Fame class is announced while we're still on the air for the next uh, 45 minutes or so. The show is just kicking off because it's in Vegas. It did not start until 9 o'clock Eastern Time Again, the report's out. Antonio Gates is not getting in. Now, that's shocking to me 
I think everybody assumed Gates was going to be a first ballot guy, apparently, and TMC is the first one that had it, that Antonio Gates is not one of the five Hall of Famers tonight. So I don't know if that means anything for Fred Taylor or not, but I cannot believe Antonio Gates is not getting in uh, this year. So we'll find out when you find out, and uh, hopefully coming up while we're still on the air. Coming up next, Josh Edwards, CBSSports.com. We'll certainly talk Super Bowl, but I want to talk Jags, a little draft as well. Josh does a terrific job with CBS Sports, and he joins us next. Hacker After Dark on a Thursday night here in the city of Jacksonville. It's 1010XL, and it's 92.5 FM. Back here on 1010XL at 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. Super Bowl 58 coming up on Sunday, Kansas City and San Francisco. Of course, the Senior Bowl already in the rearview mirror. NFL free agency, if you can believe it, is only about a month away, and it's already been a month since the Jaguar season came to an end. There's a lot to discuss. With that, Josh Edwards, CBSSports.com. He's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Josh, it's been a little while, man. How are you? I'm doing well. It's uh, It's been a little while, but when you break it down as far as everything that's happening in the NFL landscape right now, uh, it's pretty crazy how the NFL continues to dominate the calendar throughout the year. I mean, it's it's already February, and we're talking about the Senior Bowl. We're talking about the draft. We're talking about the Super Bowl. So the NFL is always going to be an interesting storyline, and we've got a pretty exciting couple of weeks here uh, with the Super Bowl. Yeah, there's no doubt. The Super Bowl leads right into the franchise tags, leads right into the combine, which leads right into free agency. It's amazing how they've, they've scheduled it to where it's going to dominate the sports calendar, as you said. Josh, you and I haven't spoken since the collapse, as we refer to it, here in Jacksonville. I saw a stat earlier where the Jaguars are just the sixth team this century, sixth team in the last 24 years to start 8-3 and three and miss the playoffs. They lost five out of six to miss the playoffs. Your thoughts on the same question we've asked here, Josh, for the last 30 days. What happened here in Jacksonville? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I saw, you know, when they didn't have their full complement of players, I thought they really struggled specifically with the skill talent. Trevor Lawrence's confidence started to waver there over the the, the past month plus. Um, so it just looked like a team that kind of lost its swagger there as, as we progressed towards the end of the season. Uh, and they were just never able to get it back. They played a couple of good teams, a couple of teams, you know, fighting for playoff spots themselves. Uh, you've obviously got the Texans, the uh, Colts, uh, fighting towards the playoffs. The Titans, of course, were no pushover this season, um, even with as bad as their record ended up being. So I think it was just a lot of unfortunate factors kind of coming together for, for Jacksonville. But I think you saw a team that, uh, you know, was playing some of their best football at the end of last year. And then to come out this year, they were red hot, as you said, eight and three. And then they just could not keep that confidence, you know, whether it was losing a couple of games because they were missing some skill players and just not being able to get it back. So uh, I do think this is a veteran staff. I think they'll be able to, to right the ship this off season. Um, but it's, it's obviously going to be a pivotal off season 
for this franchise as they try to get the the ship uh, righted in the right direction. It better be a much more active offseason, I'll tell you that. They didn't do a whole lot last year. They kind of rested on their laurels, and that didn't get them anywhere. They were 9-8 and eight in 2022. They went 9-8 and eight in 2023. Josh Edwards of CBSSports.com. Josh, where are you with Trevor Lawrence three years in? What's your thought on him? I think it's going to be a make-or-break year for him as well as the Jaguars. Um, we've seen moments of glory where you know you feel like he's getting ready to take that next step as a quarterback, uh, and then there's other moments, even outside of the Urban Meyer year, uh, where you just feel like he's still struggling to figure it out. So I think this offseason, you know, you've got to get your skill guys sorted out. Evan Ingram coming back, uh, Calvin Ridley is you know a pending free agent, so. Get those guys back. You've got ETN. You know, try to get that group together early. Have them working together. Build some of that confidence back up going into the offseason workout programs and come out ready to play next year. I think uh, Trevor Lawrence certainly has everything that you need to be a high-level NFL quarterback. Uh, but when you see guys like C.J. Stroud make it so make it look so easy, you're kind of wondering what's missing there with Trevor Lawrence. And I think he really needs to come out of the gate quick this year and kind of prove himself to not only those in the organization, but the rest of the league, because as we've seen, the AFC is not getting any easier. No, it's not. And look, we talked about this during the last offseason. Your offense can have the greatest quarterback and skill position players on planet Earth. If you don't have an offensive line, it doesn't really matter. And the Jaguars' offensive line left a lot to be desired. I know you do a lot of work with the University of Kentucky, so I got to ask you about Luke Fortner. I mean, that's a guy that has kind of gotten raked over the coals here in the last 30 days. I mean, the biggest play of the season for the Jaguars, Trevor Lawrence tries to sneak the ball in, in Nashville. Luke Fortner basically sacked him because the defensive tackle for Tennessee pushed Fortner back two yards, and, and Trevor doesn't get in the end zone. There's a lot of talk here about having to do something in the interior of that offensive line, beginning with Luke Fortner at center, what was your thought on him in college and your thought on him coming out as a prospect? Well, first and foremost, just an incredibly reliable player, somebody that is going to be available. And I think you've even seen that early in his NFL career. Um, I thought he was taken a little bit earlier than I expected, but somebody that has that versatility to play multiple positions. He played guard. He played center for Kentucky. Um, so, you know, it, Talking about him, talking about that interior offensive line in general, obviously Ezra Cleveland being a free agent this offseason, uh, Brandon Scherf is, you know, he's he, he's a shell of him former, his former self. He's still a quality player, but they've got some decisions to make across that entire offensive line. Uh, the future of Cam Robinson, of course. What are you going to do with Walker Little? That has been a narrative that they've dealt with all, all season, um, and I think it's going to be – an issue for them even going into next season. That's something we talk about on an annual basis is whether or not Jacksonville is going to be able to figure out their offensive line. And we're doing it again this off season. So I think they really need to, you know, uh, invest some of those resources into the offensive line and really try to get this figured out because that's going to give Trevor Lawrence the best opportunity for him to be the best version of himself uh, this coming season. And when you look at the NFL draft, it's a very deep class, especially at the offensive tackle position. So I do think there is opportunity for Jacksonville to make some moves along that offensive line 
uh, and really upgrade all five of those starting uh, starting players. Josh Edwards of CBSSports.com, another Kentucky player that had a heck of a year here in Jacksonville is Josh Allen, 17 and a half sacks. He is scheduled to become a free agent on March 11th. I don't think it'll ever get there, or at least it better not get there. You know, there'll be issues here with the fan base. Uh, the franchise tag looks like almost a certainty there. Josh, what about Josh Allen? Do you think, uh, you know, top five defensive end money, you know, $25 million plus per year, that's probably what he and his reps are going to want. What's your thought there? Well, I think it would be from his perspective, from his agent's perspective, I think that's certainly where you have to start because when you look at the market and where things have gone over recent years, those type of players that are capable of making an impact on a game individually – go for that level of money. He may not be a top five edge rusher. I mean, we can have that conversation all day, um, but he's going to command that level of money because the reality is if Jacksonville is not willing to give it to him, somebody else will. So I agree with you. I don't think there's any chance of him for hitting free agency, similar to my thinking that T Higgins probably is not going to reach free agency in Cincinnati. Uh, those type of players, they're either going to get hit with a franchise tag or you're going to sign them to a long-term deal. And I think Josh Allen going into a contract year this past year, while the defense struggled at times, you also saw them have a, have some bright spots um, there after the bye week. And uh, I think Josh Allen was a big part of that. So as you're trying to identify the building blocks on your team, he has to be one of those players. And I think inside the building, rewarding those types of players that you've drafted, you've developed – uh, rewarding those players with the lucrative, lucrative contracts sets a good message to the rest of the players in that locker room. So I think it's not only a good thing for the team, but I think it's good as far as building the culture in that locker room as well. Josh, I want to get to the Super Bowl with you in a moment, but you mentioned Calvin Ridley. That'll be the final Jaguar issue, at least for this conversation. Uh, if Josh Allen gets franchised, that means there's a very good chance that Calvin Ridley will hit the open market on March 11th, what do you think his market will be? And I mean, if you're Jacksonville, how pivotal is that to bring Calvin Ridley back in your opinion? Well, I think it's really important because he does have that pre-existing relationship with Trevor Lawrence um, over the past year. I think having that level of continuity going into such an important season for Lawrence and the organization as a whole is important. Um, he is certainly has a higher athletic ceiling than other players in that room. So I think it should be a priority priority to them. As you said, he's you've only got one franchise tag. So it's kind of similar to what the Giants went through last offseason. Uh, you know, do you franchise tag a Daniel Jones and sign Saquon Barkley to an extension? Do you franchise tag Saquon Barkley and sign Daniel Jones to an extension? That's something that they're going to have to weigh and, and balance out this offseason because I think they really need to bring both of those players back for the coming season. Uh, just because of how much is invested in this team taking the next step forward. If he does hit the market, I don't think he's going to command, you know, the top tier Tyreek Hill type of money. But as we've seen in free agency year after year, players with that level of talent are going to be paid more than what you would expect they maybe even should earn. Um, you know, Amari Cooper was essentially thrown to the to the side by Dallas. He was getting paid $20 million a year. Cleveland was happy to pay it. He's been a bargain for them when you look at just how much he's contributed to that team relative to some of the other contracts that have been paid out of the position. So $20 million really 
it's a lot of money for us, but in the in the grand scheme of the wide receiver market, that's kind of the going rate for a player that um, is 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 possibly a number one wide receiver for your team and someone that can make plays by themselves. Final moments with Josh Edwards of CBSSports.com. As we mentioned, the league calendar. I mean, you got the Super Bowl on Sunday, February the 11th. Free agency begins Monday, March the 11th. That is one month between the Super Bowl and free agency. So we're going to have some clarity pretty quickly here on both Josh Allen and Calvin Ridley. And that does get us to the Super Bowl. Josh, obviously Kansas City going for their third Super Bowl with Mahomes and Andy Reid. San Francisco looking to avenge the Super Bowl loss four years ago in a rematch on Sunday night. What's your thought in totality, just broad overview of the Chiefs and the Niners on Sunday out there in Las Vegas? It's strange because San Francisco comes across as the underdog right now because of how Kansas City is playing the momentum that they've been able to achieve with wins over the Bills and the Ravens. Uh, San Francisco is no stranger to this stage either. Uh, They're typically in the NFC Championship or beyond, and that's exactly where we are today. So they're not going to be overwhelmed by the moment, similar to Kansas City. But at the end of the day, I feel like Patrick Mahomes is similar to that belief we used to have with Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. Uh, You just have this sense that whatever it takes, they're going to find a way to do it. And that's kind of where this all boils down to me. It's not necessarily, you know, breaking down the X's and O's to this really minute level. It's the simple fact that Patrick Mahomes always rises to the occasion in this game. Um, And that's a team that you can never count out. I mean, nobody expected them to be here the way that the offense was playing. The team as a whole was playing in the middle of the season, but that's where we are. So, you know, I, I am always one to say that if it's not broke, don't fix it. Um, and I, I don't feel like Kansas city has done anything to, um, you know, warrant not getting that level of trust in the postseason. So while I do think San Francisco is a very good team, I just have a hard time counting out Kansas city. Yeah. I'm kind of there with you. The interesting thing to me, and maybe this is the reason why, I mean, you could argue green Bay outplayed San Francisco in the divisional round. You had the 49ers found a way to win the game. You could certainly argue Detroit outplayed San Francisco in the NFC title game, yet the 49ers found a way to win the game. Dan Campbell not kicking field goals has something to do with that as well. And now Kansas City comes in after big wins against Buffalo and Baltimore on the road. I almost wonder, Josh, if people have maybe forgotten how good San Francisco is. I think there's some truth to that, even going back to the regular season and how they performed against Baltimore. Um, you know, coming out of that game, everybody felt that Baltimore was the cream of the crop in the NFL and San Francisco was, you know, a good team, but just kind of another NFC contender that, uh, was eventually going to fall victim to the Ravens and, you know, fast forward a couple of months and here we are, uh, the 49ers are still one of the league's best teams. They're a team that is capable of stretching you out horizontally and vertically. They have four, you know, different skill talents that can score at any point in the game. Um, so they're a threat every time that they touch the ball. I was looking at some stats today, uh, you know, the regular season, the postseason, they've scored a touchdown on their opening drive over half the time this year. Um, 10 of 19 games, I believe it was, that they've scored a touchdown on their opening drive this season. So they're finding success early in the game. They did not do that against the Lions, uh, nor the, did they do that against the Packers. If they're able to 
get that going early again this week, establish that confidence, they're going to be incredibly tough to beat because as we've seen the past couple of weeks, this is a team that has rallied late um, through adversity. They've, they've found a way to get it done. Uh, so I do think that they are a team that is, is, is certainly uh, capable of, of bringing this home, even, even though uh, Kansas City is playing at such a high level right now. Yeah, we here in Jacksonville know exactly how good these two teams are. They both beat the Jaguars by a combined score of 51-12 to uh, this year. In fact, the Jaguars did not score a touchdown against either San Francisco or Kansas City. Josh, final question. If Mahomes wins on Sunday, that would put him in the three-ring category with the likes of Bradshaw and Aikman, you know, Montana, Brady, obviously. I mean, if he wins... He enters the conversation with Brady and Montana as the best ever, or do you think he's already there regardless of Sunday's outcome? I don't think he's there yet. Um, I don't think that this, if he were to lose this Super Bowl, I don't think that that would be the end of his claim as potentially the best overall. Um, but if he were to win it, then he is certainly on pace to become known as the best quarterback of all time. Uh, just stacking his postseason resume his you know regular season uh, credentials against Tom Brady against Joe Montana I think what he has done to this point in his career and you know think about it he he essentially missed his entire rookie season uh, while he watched Alex Smith from the bench so what he's been able to accomplish in such a short period of time I think that he is not to be considered the greatest of all time right now but if he wins this Super Bowl, he is certainly on track to uh, at least be in the conversation and potentially one day be considered the greatest quarterback that the NFL has ever seen. He's absolutely incredible. There is no question about that. Josh Edwards, CBSSports.com. Josh, tell the good folks here in Jacksonville what's coming out from you on CBSSports.com over the coming days leading into Super Bowl 58. Yeah, so last week we took a look at uh, the roster breakdown, how these two teams got to the Super Bowl. Uh, we do a mock draft every single week at CBSSports.com. Um, you know, we're doing some some individual team approaches, you know, in the, in the coming weeks. So a lot is happening, not only in regards to the NFL, but the NFL draft, which, as we discussed at the top of this interview, is just around the corner. There's no question about it, and we'll know a lot more about the draft once free agency hits in about a month. Josh Edwards. Josh, I know you're busy. Thank you so much for the time. I'll dial your phone again, hopefully around free agent time, and we'll find out exactly what the Jaguars did accomplish. Appreciate you, my friend. Absolutely. I look forward to it. Back here on 1010XL at 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. And then there were two, the NFC champion, San Francisco 49ers, and the AFC champion, Kansas City Chiefs, Super Bowl 58, out in Las Vegas. Boy, this is regular hat for Kansas City. What is this? Four out of five years now the Chiefs find themselves in the biggest game on the planet. With that, let's go out to Kansas City. My buddy Seren Petro, Sports Radio 810 in the Kansas City area, always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Seren, how we doing? Uh, doing well, yeah. Uh, you know, Four out of five Super Bowls, six straight conference championship games. And think about this, uh, the two that they lost, they lost in overtime. So there are two overtime losses. 
away from going to six straight Super Bowls. It's been pretty amazing. Saran, you're as close to the Chiefs as anybody I know. You cover them every day. You have a great program out there in Kansas City. You watch these guys all the time. Are you even in awe that they just continue to win these games? Yeah, and I think this year, uh, without a doubt, has been their their toughest road. First of all, according to you know uh, the Football Outsider DVOA, their path should they win a championship uh, will now be the toughest one that anybody's faced uh, because of how tough their AFC road was. They faced the three biggest point differentials in the NFL or in the AFC, and now they're getting what DVOA says is the best team in the NFC and one of the best teams in football, maybe the best team in football. It was either the 49ers or Ravens that uh, seemed to get all the uh, all the rankings and have all the analytics going their way. So, you know, it was their worst record. It's their worst offensive addition that they've had in the Patrick Mahomes era. It doesn't look like the other ones. And I think that's the testament to Mahomes and the testament to Andy Reid, that they're doing it a different way. A uh, testament to Brett Beach, their general manager as well, that – you know, they have they have played the market and built their football team the best way that they can, regardless of what it is uh, they really needed. Uh, you know, they, they've they've you know been effective in the market of just building the best collection of talent and then letting their coaching staff put it together and, and form a team. And it's it's been amazing to watch. And I think this is the one that, you know, personally, I, I didn't have I had them winning in the first game, I had them winning in the second game, didn't have them beating the Baltimore Ravens. And my statement beforehand, before the playoffs started, was they're good enough to beat anybody in the NFL, but I don't think they're good enough to win four games against four playoff-caliber opponents. So uh, it's been remarkable this run this season. A couple of more from my buddy Seren Petro of Sports Radio 810 in Kansas City. Seren, we're getting into historic territory with the offensive guys. Let's begin with Travis Kelsey. You and I have talked many times this year. He's 34, right? Father time catches up with everybody and yet Travis Kelsey in the playoffs has been darn near unstoppable. He just passed Jerry Rice for all-time receptions in the NFL in the postseason. I mean, when you pass Jerry Rice, that, that that's a, an eye-opening statement. Uh, Travis Kelsey playing his best football of the year right now. Yeah, past Jerry Rice in, in receptions. Uh, he still, I think, it's 400 yards behind him in yards, and he's two or three touchdowns behind him. But I'll point out that Jerry Rice accomplished his numbers in 29 playoff games. Uh, Travis Kelsey has passed him in receptions in 21. So eight fewer games, and the only guy in front of him, two of those receiving categories, is Jerry Rice, and there's no one in front of him. He just passed Jerry Rice, as you said. So uh, it is remarkable, and he has been the Robin to Patrick Mahomes' Batman through this entire run. And, you know, that's going to be a day when he, when he walks away or when he can't do it at a high level, which we thought we were seeing a little bit of this year. You know, it's going to be a little bit scary. What does Patrick Mahomes do without a security blanket? It'll still be very good, but it, it will be an adjustment, and they'll be certainly hard-pressed to go find a guy that is as good as Travis Kelsey. And I think the idea that Kelsey is done or over the hill, you know, he's declining physically. I don't think there's any doubt about that, but I think we've seen that that week that he took off in the final week against the Chargers, and by the way, gave up an opportunity, needed only 16 yards for his eighth consecutive 1,000-yard season. No tight end has had more than three consecutive 1,000-yard seasons until Kelsey came along and did seven. He could have been selfish, could have gone out there, got his 16 yards, got his eighth consecutive 1,000-yard season. But, you know, he said, look, I, I need the rest. And that rest has done him a world of good. He looks like the old Travis Kelsey right now. And, and I think let's not underestimate what Rasheed Rice has done. He has given the Chiefs a legitimate threat. And I think we've seen the Bills and Ravens kind of come at it and say, Rashi Rice is the guy we've got to take away. Travis Kelsey might beat us, you know, might be death by a thousand cuts, but the guy that can make the bigger plays is Rashi Rice. And so they focus their attention there, put their best cover guy on him. And we see that Travis Kelsey 
I can certainly still do a lot of damage if you don't decide that he's going to be the number one option you want to take away. I shake my head every time I see Mahomes do something. He made a couple of plays against Baltimore. And when you think you've seen everything at Patrick Mahomes' arsenal, he'll do something like that. Again, you're around the guy every day. I mean, do you do you just look at Mahomes and say, wow, does he still amaze you? Yes. Um, you know, you see it time and time again. And, you know, he's kind of like that adage. Every time you watch a game, you're likely to see something you've never seen before. You know, look from, you know, we, we know some of the stuff he's done in the past, the left-handed pass. He pulled that out again this year when he was uh, under pressure, rolling to his left and needed to just get the ball beyond the uh, line of scrimmage. So it wouldn't be a, a, a uh, intentional grounding. And he threw it left-handed again, you know, the, his ability to throw from all angles. You know, I said, Patrick Mahomes is taking the the adage when I hear somebody say, well, this quarterback, he, he doesn't have the footwork. He's got to work on his footwork. I, I now believe that that's a cop-out. <laughs> you know, that that's just that, – that, that's draft speak that people like to bring to the equation. You know, Patrick Mahomes has that rare ability to get his upper body, get his torso, get his arm into a throwing position no matter where he's working. And if you watch the quarterback uh, series on Netflix, you'll see it's something he practices. It's something he works at. Yes, there's a lot of God-given ability, but he works – on his flexibility, on his core strength, on his ability to rotate and create arm velocity without being able to get his legs uh, involved in it. That w- that's what allows him to be so elusive in, in the backfield yet still deliver the football on time and to where he wants to go. And I think it's amazing, too, what he doesn't get enough credit for is his intelligence and his unbelievable spatial awareness. He just understands where everybody is on the field and where they're going to be and where the ball is going to be when he lets it go. And so even when he's throwing the ball away, there are times he flips it out where you see other guys that they recognize maybe that they can't get the ball to someone and they end up throwing it somewhere where someone can come over and pick it. He always seems to be able to get it near a receiver, but into a part of the field where there's no one there. It's just, it really is just amazing. His total control of the game uh, and his total understanding of all game situations. You know, Andy Reid complimented him after the AFC championship game for taking the sacks, understanding that the offense wasn't clicking that day. It's certainly not in the second half and that they needed that clock to run. So instead of throwing it away and avoiding a sack, he went ahead and took the sack because he understood at this time the clock is more important than the yards I'll lose. So instead of throwing it away like he normally would, he went ahead and just ate it, took the sack, and kept the clock running uh, to get that game over as fast as possible. He's truly amazing and checks every box you could want a guy to check at the quarterback position. Yeah, we hope Trevor Lawrence was looking at some of that because Lawrence had a lot of those problems with clock management this year here in Jacksonville. Final moments, Seren Petro, Sports Radio 810 in Kansas City. And that gets me to Andy Reid. I mean, Tyreek Hill leaves, Eric Bieniemy leaves, but it's still the trio, right? It's still Kelsey, Mahomes, and Andy Reid, a win against San Francisco in Super Bowl 58, Seren. And I think we're talking about Andy Reid being in legit conversation with Bill Belichick for one of, if not the greatest head coach of all time. Yeah, for me, I'm already there in, in having that conversation. If you want to say he hasn't quite got past him, you know, I'll listen to that. Six championships for Bill Belichick is amazing. What I think stands out for Andy Reid and what the Patrick Mahomes era has done is when everybody was talking about, well, he didn't know how to manage the clock and he didn't know he can't win the big games. I'm going to tell you, you know what manages the clock? Great quarterbacks, right? That's how you manage the clock. If you're sitting there thinking your coach doesn't get down the field fast enough, he doesn't do A, B, or C. And I can tell you, Doug Peterson, who's got a championship ring on his finger, and by the way, won it uh, down the stretch with Nick Foles. He knows how to manage the clock. Coaches know how to manage the clock. Good coaches know how to manage the clock. But they need that instrument. They need that quarterback that recognizes checking it down to the running back in the middle of the field, 
with, you know, a minute 20 to go in one timeout and we're still 70 yards away from a touchdown or 40 yards away from a field goal is irrelevant. Better to throw the football away or take chunks. And, you know, I'll say one of the best plays Patrick Mahomes has made was last year against the Buffalo Bills in the regular season where he got the ball back. I can't remember if he was down three or four, but a little over a minute to go. And all of the Chiefs fans expected, okay, we're going to go down, we're going to get the points, and we're going to win this game. This is what Patrick Mahomes does. And on the first pass, he threw an interception. And he threw an interception because he wasn't taking plays that were just going to kill the clock. Alex Smith had the intention of going down the field, but Alex Smith would look around and then run and get tackled in the middle of the field. And 35 seconds would drain off the clock. 28 seconds would drain off the clock when he'd throw it over the middle for a four-yard gain. All of a sudden, you look up, you had 151 and three timeouts, and you look up, and now you've got 42 seconds. You're at your own 41, and you only have one timeout left. Patrick Mahomes understands the game situation that I have to go down the field. And if I throw a pick and we lose, we lose. But it doesn't matter if we you know, lose with no time on the clock at their 40 or we lose with a minute 10 on the clock and me trying to get us down the field. We have to go down the field. And, you know, I think Andy Reid has always understood that, and he's always had receivers that were open down there. It's just you have the quarterback that sees the window, sees the opportunities, and is willing to take up the risk tolerance to another level and try to make those plays. And Patrick Mahomes has that. He's always dialed into that situation. So, you know, Andy Reid's success, massive success before Patrick Mahomes, is now validated by the fact that he's got his Hall of Famer and he's doing things that you know only one or two other teams or no other team has ever done. And for me, it proves that body of work beforehand is now entirely validated by what he does with the Hall of Famer. And I think it is a relevant discussion. It's either him or it's Bill Belichick. And when you look at Bill Belichick, who's a sub-500 coach and is 1-2 and two in the postseason without Tom Brady in his entire career, and it's not that they were leaving Cleveland, which was the old adage, well, you know, they, they were moving to Baltimore. That's what got Bill Belichick. Uh, that, that's bull, right? Without Tom Brady, he's been an entirely different coach before him and after him. And that's not the case with Andy Reid. He was incredibly successful at two different teams without Patrick Mahomes. This just validates how good he is as a head coach. It's tough to argue that. Final moments with Seren Petro. Seren, as we wrap up, all right, if they beat San Francisco, if they get another Super Bowl, there is conversation out there about the future of Travis Kelsey and the future of Andy Reid. If they win, Saran, are both of those guys back next year? Uh, you know, Travis Kelsey said at the podium uh, just a couple of weeks ago that he was planning on being back, that he had a lot more football left in him and he was going to play. So you can say things to just kind of deflect the question. Maybe he will consider it. Maybe he was just saying that so he didn't have to answer the question anymore. But I believe what he said. He has said previously – he wants to play as long as he can. And so I'll take those two comments and say that Travis Kelsey will be back. With Andy Reid, I, I to a degree understand it, but largely I think you've got guys that are paid to be information guys, and sometimes there's no information to give. Uh, last year it was Jay Glazer who took a comment from Andy Reid when asked, uh, you know, are, are you, would you consider retiring at the end of the year? He said, listen, we're coaching now. I'll consider that later. And that report became Andy Reid considering retirement at the end of the year. And I'm going to tell you, the comment was not made with that intention. The comment was made, don't ask me that question now. We'll worry about that afterwards. He's made no such comment, but I think you've got people like Mike Florio that want to put things out there and put these kind of vague statements so that if Andy Reid, who's 65 years old, would decide to call it quits, which guys have with his success level, you could point back and say, see, I said this four or five weeks ago. I talked to people in the Chiefs organization. I said, listen, I hate even asking you this because I personally believe Andy Reid is a coach. I interviewed him. First time uh, in Kansas City after he came to the Chiefs, and he just lost his son, and he just had the worst season 
of his career. And I said, Andy, a lot of people say you should take a year and recharge your batteries. And he looked me in the eye and he said, Seren, I'm a football coach. It's what I do. Let's roll. And I think that's always been his mindset. I think Andy Reid will coach until he can't physically coach anymore. And I think his approach is, I'm not talking about that now. Will he evaluate at the end of the year? Yeah, I think he will. And there may be something that I don't know, but the team, people on the team told me, look, unless Clark Hunt is talking to people, and Clark Hunt has never been a leak in this organization, but unless Clark Hunt has been told something by Andy Reid that we don't know, nothing has been said in this building by Andy Reid, who's very much a communicator with his coaches and his front office and all the people there, nothing has been said about him hanging it up at the end of the year. So it gets slow. I expect this to be a theme again this week, two weeks of having only two teams to talk about, and guys are paid to have information. And when there's no information, they're going to write something. So I expect this theme to be a theme again. But I would be very surprised unless he has some kind of health condition that arises or has arisen that will keep him from, A, just being healthy enough in his life, or B, be physically able to get to the practice field. He does not move well. He's had knee surgeries. If for some reason he couldn't get out to the practice field, couldn't put in the long hours in the office, then I think at that point he would retire. But I think there has been absolutely, according to the people I've talked to, no indication whatsoever given by Andy Reid that this will be his last year. Seren Petro, Sports Radio 810 in Kansas City. Absolutely terrific stuff. Seren, I know how busy you are. Thank you for taking time out, my friend. We'll do it again soon. Ryan, you're the man. Anytime, buddy. Love being on with you. And thank you to my buddy Seren Petro, Sports Radio 810 in Kansas City, for joining us tonight here on Hacker After Dark. I'm still going back and forth, but i got to be honest, I'm leaning Kansas City. I think it's going to be close, but I just – Patrick Mahomes, man, there's something about him. Again, the only time he lost a Super Bowl was to Tom Brady and his two starting offensive tackles were both hurt. And it took a lot of odd things for Mahomes to lose in the biggest game. He's obviously won the other two. He's played in. One team has Patrick Mahomes. One team does not. And that's the way I'm leaning on Sunday with the Kansas City Chiefs. I'll uh, give my final prediction, I guess, tomorrow, but something would drastically have to change for me to change my mind on the outcome of Super Bowl 58. Well, that'll just about do it. What has been a very, very busy Thursday night here on Hacker After Dark. We certainly appreciate you guys hanging out with us here on 1010XL and on 92.5 FM. We have a ton of people to thank. Again, my buddy Seren Petro of Sports Radio 810 in Kansas City. Thank you to Josh Edwards, CBSSports.com, for joining us tonight. Justin Lewis of the Florida Times Union. Boy, Justin did some good work down there at the Pro Bowl talking with guys that used to play for Ryan Nielsen in both New Orleans and Atlanta, talking with Josh Allen. Really appreciate Justin taking time out for us this evening. And as always, my friend Cecil Shorts, former wide receiver for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Cecil has been with us every week during the football season, and we certainly, certainly appreciate it. We'll be back tomorrow night on a Friday to close out the week here on Hacker After Dark, beginning at 8 o'clock, and we certainly hope that you join us then. Dylan Denmark was your producer tonight. Dylan, great job as always. I'm the hacker Ryan Green. And again, Jacksonville, thank you for spending part of your Thursday evening with us right here on Hacker After Dark on 1010XL and on 92.5 FM. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Thursday evening, and we will do it again tomorrow night 
on a Friday beginning at 8 o'clock. Until then, good night, Jacksonville.